everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we're happy to see each other today. We've been giggling already because it's been, I think, a week a since week we stopped seeing each other. And it felt like a month. It's it, weird how time is so warped sometimes. It is. And Chris walked in and said, I think we haven't seen each other for weeks. And then we realized, yeah, like last week. Well, last week, yes. <laughs> so I thought I would start us out with a couple things to talk about. One is that um, we had our first book giveaway, yes. which was to celebrate episode, getting to 10 episodes. 10 episodes, and that's when we did our top 10s-ish, if you remember. <laughs> I was strong-armed. And we have a winner. Yes. Stephanie from Ohio. Congratulations, Stephanie. Yeah, we're really excited. She was excited, which made it even more fun. And she had a hard time deciding. Mm-hmm. Imagine that, book lovers having a hard time deciding from a list of a long list of good books. I know it's tough. Yeah, but she did pick um, "In the Sweet Kitchen: The Definitive Baker's Guide" by Regan Daly, mm-hmm. which makes me really happy. Yeah. And Stephanie, we're looking forward to you sending us a picture of you eating something really delicious. <laughs> or you don't you don't have to be eating it. You could just send a picture of the delicious thing. It's up to you. Or, you know, you send a picture with crumbs all over your face. We like that, too. We've been there. (laughs) Daily. (laughs) And then the other thing I thought it would be nice to do, if you guys would indulge me for a minute, I love poetry, and it is um, National Poetry Month. We're coming up on the end, the month of April. So I thought I'd read a quick poem. It's called Moments. There are moments that cry out to be fulfilled, like telling someone you love them or giving your money away, all of it. Your heart is beating, isn't it? You're not in chains, are you? There is nothing more pathetic than caution when headlong might save a life, even, possibly, your own. Dear Mary Oliver. It's beautiful. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, go live, everybody. Yeah. It's great that something can be so beautiful and also kick ass at the same time. Yeah, and which is what's amazing about her. Mm-hmm. You know, I just love her work. She has lots of books, and um, the most recent uh, book that I purchased was her book of essays, which the title is escaping me, and I'm looking at my bookshelf, but there's too many books there for me to see it. But anyway, I'll put it in the show notes. Mary Oliver, read her poetry. Her, yeah, her poems are life-changing. And they're very accessible poems, too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Thanks for indulging me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so on to Just Read, our first module. Module? <laughs> Segment? Segment. <laughs> I'm in I'm in a online class building mode where it's like modules unit yeah well so and I'm in segment. online module taking so I was like oh god Chris no. I'm, I'm I'm back in school she said the M word yeah now it's so our first segment just read and we actually ended up having a a book in common uh, a booktopia book and that is Celine by Peter Heller correct yeah it yeah. was my first Peter Heller. And you've read a couple, right? I have read. I've read several of his. He has The Dog Stars and The Painter. Those mm-hmm. are his two other works of fiction. He's also, he's a tra- he was, I don't think he still is, I could be wrong, a travel writer. Mm-hmm. And even went out on like these amazing kayak adventures where he tells stories of having to put his journals in, you know, waterproof bags. And it was like the most important thing he was protecting on these adventures. 
so he could get back to the tent at night and write about his experiences of the day. Mm. But I have I have read his other two, and I enjoy him very much. Uh, this one, I loved Celine. Mm-hmm. It competes with the Dog Stars for me, but they're very different stories. Yeah. Well, Celine is a bit of a mystery. It's Celine is a seventy-ish woman. She's mm-hmm. in her seventies, yeah. I think, and she's a private investigator along with her husband, and their specialty is finding people. Um, so, and she is currently living, she's uh, in New York, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, from the East Coast. And much of the story, though, takes place out West. So I love that. I love being in the East, because some scenes are in Connecticut as well, and, and Vermont, mm-hmm. um, and then out West. And it made me want to pack up my car and head West. I Or get a little <laughs> camper like they did, which was so yeah. fun. They had yeah. like a little pop-up camper, totally. I think. Yeah, they borrowed yeah. their son's camper. Yeah. yeah. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a good mystery. Mm-hmm. I, I like the mystery part of it. It, it had um, some good adventure in the background. Mm-hmm. And, and what I liked about Celine as a character, because I, you know, reading mystery novels where the protagonist is an old woman, old 70 doesn't seem old no. anymore. <laughs> She's an older woman. Older woman. Um, <laughs> you know, they some the women sometimes become caricatures because they're just, they're so cute and they're so sweet or they're so tough or whatever the case is. And I didn't feel that way with Celine, the character at all. Mm-hmm. I really thought she was pretty well-rounded and real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And she had some flaws, mm-hmm. you know, and in, in, in dealt with those, you know, and... Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it, and it kind of wove two different storylines because they look for missing people, and there's a little bit of a mystery in her past as well yes. that her son is working to solve. Yes, and I love that. I liked both of those. I know one of the or some of the reviews have said that you know one takes away from the other a little right. bit, but I thought that they were entwined really wonderfully, and I was interested in both. I agree. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it was a fast read for me. Totally I don't know fast. If it was yeah, great. super yeah. fast for me. Yeah. I read it on my e-reader. I'm having a love affair with my e-reader, which is weird. Um, but yeah, it was a really fast read, really enjoyable. I look forward to sitting down to pick it up every mm-hmm. every chance I had. Yes, it was the book I went to my bedroom to talk to when I had when to just had to read, go. Yeah, read, read schoolwork. School. So <laughs> I was happy to come home to it. <laughs> well, you know, the next time we record, you'll be done yes. with your schoolwork. Ah, deep sigh. That's that's getting me through, Chris, yes. because I'm in the throes of two papers, an exam, and a presentation. So it's, and not in yeah. in addition to your full time job. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Good times, yeah. as I like to say. <laughs> All right. So, what else did you read? What else do you have? I have another um, Booktopia book, which was called is called Our Short History by Lauren Grodstein. This is a difficult book, and this is not a spoiler to say that um, it's from the point of view of a mother who's dying of ovarian cancer, and the whole premise of the book is that she's writing kind of a journal to her seven-year-old son, Mm. telling him the things she wants to be able to tell him, but won't be there to tell him when he's old enough to really care. Yeah. You know? It's a really difficult, difficult book. And um, she also is not with the father of her son. And her seven-year-old son decides that he wants to meet his dad. So that becomes a whole arc of the story is about her not wanting him to meet his dad. And then when he does get to meet his dad, wanting to be in control of that relationship after she's gone. 
And, you know, that's kind of an overarching issue that all of us could have about many things in our life is what we can and can't control, right. particularly after we're not here. Yes. You know? Yeah. So um, it was really hard to read. <laughs> um, and it's also, I think, brought up to me the thought of, like, you know, what, what would you want to say to your kids if you know that you're going to be leaving them prematurely? Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was very well written. I, I wouldn't say um, that I loved it, but that was not about her writing. It was just about the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she did handle it well, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not an uplifting book. So Okay. But I am looking forward to meeting her at Booktopia. I'm very curious as to why she wanted to write this book. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. that's a question I'm hoping to get answered. Okay, good. We'll have yeah. follow-up on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, another book I read is also a Booktopia book, uh, The Leavers by Lisa Coe. And that's not coming out until May 2nd. Um, I was fortunate to get a advanced copy through Edelweiss um, and the publisher, so thank you for that. Um, but this book, it, it's, it won the Penn Bellwether Prize for Socially Engaged Fiction, which I, I don't know if Barbara Kingsolver created that award or sponsors it. I'm not really sure. But um, she had said that this is the, the book that this prize was created for because part of the prize is getting the book published. And it is a story of a young woman from China who comes to New York and she's uh, pregnant when she comes. That's not much of a spoiler because of the, the book jacket talks about her coming and her son. She disappears one day and her son who is, I think he's like 11, he's in fifth grade at the time, mm-hmm. Deming mm-hmm. is his name. He is then adopted by a white upper-middle-class couple from upstate New York. They're professors at a, at a college. So it's his story, it's his coming-of-age story, as well as the young mother's coming-of-age story, too, in a lot of ways. It's a beautiful book. It's really tight, you know? Mm. Like, I, I never had the feeling, and it goes back and forth between both the mom and the the son story but i never had the feeling of there being them being disjointed you know mm-hmm, what i mean mm-hmm. uh very um stylistically solid mm-hmm. book i love books told from different po- points of view as yeah. they you know going back and forth yeah. yeah and 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 i um you know it's a book it's about family it's about identity you know especially your identity when you are an immigrant mm-hmm what that does to you when you're part of one culture and not part of the other culture and how do you find your place. Mm. So it's about uh, both of the characters struggling with that Mm. and wanting more out of life and the whole issue of mothering too. Mm. What is the expectation of mothers Mm -hmm. and the judgments that are made and, and the, the anguish that women themselves have over not being this kind of mother or that kind of mother doesn't hit it heavy in that way it's not like an, an attack against the sensualist notions of motherhood necessarily but it, it's it's in there mm, so yeah, yeah mm. so another book too that deals with adoption and the adoptive parents this white couple and and how they're portrayed is interesting mm. so i can't book. wait to read yeah. it and I, I i'm sorry i'm not doing the book justice i just oh, no, i just okay. really finished it and it's still twirling around in mm-hmm. my head but i really enjoyed it and i'm so looking forward to meeting lisa ko i think that's how she pronounces her name it's ko mm-hmm. um she, at booktopia just to to hear more about her writing of this book 
I know, and I want to get it read before I yeah. see her, but that I've got two days to do it, because I think yeah. it comes out May 2nd, right? Yeah. What, what, when is Booktopia start? May 4th. May 4th, yeah. So they'll hopefully have it available for yeah. Booktopians to buy it that day. Yeah, yeah. Or will not, it'll be out. Yeah. I'll have to, Some yeah. of us will run and get it beforehand, and then yeah. you'll be driving me to Booktopia, and I'll be reading her. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it took me, I think, four or five days to read it. Not mm-hmm. that I've had a ton of reading time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a quick read, but it's not a very long book. I think it's 300 and something pages, so it's not a big chunkster okay. yeah. uh, like Pachinko was. Yeah. Great. But I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend that you add it to your summer reading list, especially if you're interested in in immigrants and you know immigrants coming to America. And then also, what I found fascinating about the scenes dealing with China is that citizens there have a voucher to live a certain place. So if you're say from the countryside and you're living in the city and you don't have a voucher to live there. You could be kicked out at any time. Mm. You're considered like a migrant within the country. Mm. And I thought that was fascinating, too, just to think how, again, fortunate we are in the United States to pretty much choose wherever we want to live. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you learn a lot of cultural things. And one, there was one scene where I wish I wrote it down and had it with me, but it's the, the white couple. Uh, they go to the New York City to visit with friends who've also adopted a young Chinese, uh, well, she, the girl was a baby when she was adopted, and Deming, the boy, he was, you know, 11, so he has memories of his his birth mom and everything, um, but they're, they're at a Chinese restaurant. They're talking about the food, and I think Deming, Dem, the, the adoptive mother had tried to make Chinese food, and it didn't really work all that well, and oh, I'm going to totally wreck this. I'll probably just have to edit this out, but somebody says something that where they live back in upstate New York, it's like um, a cultural vacation, a vacation from culture, mm. meaning that, like, these, you know, white middle-class people don't have a culture, mm. you know, that it's it's only other cultures mm. that have a culture, you mm. know? But I also wonder if that is that a comment on New York, because it always amazes me, like, within the first five seconds of being on the subway, you hear three different languages, you yeah. know? So I do think that if you have lived in New York or even just spent, you know, a long, you know, time there, you realize when you go to other parts of the country how culturally, you know, what's the word? Um, uh, I want to think, I'm thinking monopod, but that's not the right word. Um, it, <laughs> well, how it lacks culture, monolithic. maybe that's Well, it's a monolithic yeah. type yeah. culture where yeah. it's all. Yes. Yeah. Of yeah. One. Of, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to more a mix. And you're just used to, you know, if you're sitting on the subway with, you know, so many different cultures represented. I mean, the other day when I was there, I was standing up and the woman standing next to me had these like fake nails that were three inches long. So they (laughs) caught my attention and she's texting, which is different when you have three inch long, you know, fingernails. So, of course, I'm watching her like mesmerized. And then I noticed that she's using the key. The keypad looks just like my phone with the English, you know, letters, alphabet. But then as she's pushing them, it's Chinese that's that's showing up. And and I was like, oh, that just completely (laughs) blows my mind. Because I know you can have a keyboard that has the other 
alphabets, but she mm-hmm. was using the Eng- like so she was translating yeah, like yeah. that an English A is or am I saying it right that the alphabet letter A whatever yeah. is this symbol and I mean I just couldn't I I think my mouth was dropping open and she probably was like lady you know wanting to elbow me. But. <laughs> I've always wondered like I've seen women with big long fingernails like that and mm-hmm. I've always wondered like if their fingers get sore. After a while, um, typing, and yeah. I just can't handle that. I don't know. It was the whole thing fascinated me. And not, but my point being, you yeah. know, like, I don't oh, see that yeah, when I'm in Gilbert. Book, right? <laughs> oh, well, Gilbert, yeah, talk about a monolithic kind right. of place. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, it, was, it had a lot to do with food, that scene, um, because as somebody says, it's a cultural vacation or a cultural siesta. Mm. Somebody else calls it. Um, the woman then says, well, we've been spoiled by great Chinese food in London and other places. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's just so indicative of their their privilege. Right. And, yeah, so. Yeah. Anyway, great book. The Leavers by Lisa Ko, coming out May 2nd. Go get it. Or put it on hold. Yes. At your library or whatever. Um, my next book was also a Booktopia. We've been busy Booktopia reading. Impossible Fortress by Jason Rekulak. This takes place in the 1980s, which is when I grew up, so it was quite um, a little love fest for me. And it's a, the character is a teenage boy, and they talk, he, he's a computer programmer, and this is in the time when you had floppy disks and, you know, binary programming and computers took up rooms, you know, <laughs> and so that was a fun little flashback for me because I knew people that had a room devoted to their home computer, I'm mm-hmm. saying that, in, you know, air quotes. And I also remember being in college when, you know, there was a computer lab, oh, yeah. and I would walk around with my floppy disk, you know, hoping I didn't lose it or ruin it or mm-hmm. whatever. And the premise of the story is it's a group of teenage boys who are on a mission to steal the copy of Playboy with Vanna White on the cover. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a teen caper book. It brought me back to living in the 80s, but it also brought me back to being a parent of a teenage boy when you find yourself constantly saying, what were you thinking? Because <laughs> they're not thinking. <laughs> and there's this pack mentality that happens with teenage boys that's quite unbelievable to witness, um, wherein they think something's a good idea that's not a good idea. And they will also cover for each other in unbelievable ways. Mm-hmm. So, so all sorts of things occur in this book that are really funny and really crazy and um it was a fun ride I really enjoyed it I thought it was incredibly well plotted and I read um an interview with the author and or maybe this was just in the back of the book I think it was an interview yeah in the back of the book that he is an editor at um a small publishing company which I can't remember the name it has a very funny name and oh, he, is that Quark or Quark? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Quark is it Quark books? I don't. I think it's Quark. Okay, or Quark Publishing or something yeah. like that. And he talked about the book Ready Player One mm-hmm. and how it inspired him. And um, he definitely plotted this book out very well, and it took lots of twists and turns that I did not expect. Cool. So I enjoyed it. I, I highly recommend it as a fun read. It also has a lot of 80s music in it, you know, that he refers to. And he even, in the back of the... I read the hardcover book. In the back, he had lists of... Um, playlists of music that he listened to to inspire him while he was writing it. And also the lists that occur in the book. 
Cool. That's fun. I like that. I can't wait to meet him. I have a feeling he's going to be really fun. Again, the name of the book is Impossible Fortress by Jason Rekulak. Cool. I do want to check that one out. I'm running out of time for my Booktopia book, so... Yikes. Um, that one sounds really good, though. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. A lot of fun. I remember the Playgirl, the the edition with Robert Redford mm. on the cover. And then I think at one point there was a Burt Reynolds spread. Centerfold, that's what yeah. they call those. Yeah, but they, yeah. of course, you know, had shorts on. Right. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, those guys did. You yeah. know, the, the stars who yeah. would appear usually didn't reveal all. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, there was a subscription to Playboy that arrived at my house on a monthly or weekly, however often those things arrive. So I saw plenty of Playboys growing up, and you know, well, they had quality articles. That's right. That's quality. Yeah, the members of my yes. household that read them always said. <laughs> Did I ever tell you my sister? I went to the Playboy Club in Chicago when I was a little kid. <laughs> when you were a kid, I was a kid. My sister and her boyfriend. You know, my sister was probably stuck babysitting me or something. And we went to the Playboy Club. And I remember sitting, like, in the lounge on a a little vinyl-type, you know, half-circle-type bench. And my sister's like, stay here. I was like, okay. As older sisters <laughs> are wont to do. <laughs> and then they went. I don't know where they went. But I'm sitting there watching these women in Playboy Bunny suits walk back and forth with, you know, trays of drinks. And I just remember, like how big they were, you know? They were just, like, big, and they seemed so muscular and really, you know, like, well-proportioned and everything, but just solid women Hmm. with these Playboy bunny suits on. That was an amazing experience, and I must have been, like, I don't know, 10 or something. Oh, my God, that's Uh, unbelievable. I wonder what they thought of this kid sitting on the bench. Yeah, I was just sitting there, and I have no... I should ask my sister... Hey, Susan, <laughs> what was up with that? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, she'll, was... she'll have some some way of supporting her side of that story, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> Interesting. That's anyway. hilarious. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, a lot of Playboy stories. I think every family probably has some story about some magazine. I didn't find them objectionable, personally. Yeah. I mean, I think I find not, we could get off on a whole tangent on this one, but... I think it's much more upsetting to think that people are looking at pornography online to me than it is looking at a tastefully done magazine. A photo shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's some horrifying things online. Then you, yeah. yeah. But that's a whole, we won't go yeah. any farther than that. Yeah. But I no. think that, um, you know, that the people in the Playboy magazines were, you know, just appeared to be more real, I think, than mm-hmm. what you can find online. Mm-hmm. So I've been told. <laughs> so did you read anything right. else? I have one other book. I did. I, well, I finished Just Mercy, uh, Brian Stevenson's mm-hmm. book. Uh, I listened to the audio, and I really enjoyed it. It was a tough listen, as we've talked about before. And, you know, I'm not sure if, you know, we mentioned some of the statistics. Like, one that stands out is that from the 90s until today, or when this book was written, there's been an over 600% increase in the percentage of women who are incarcerated mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in the 90s, that's when things got privatized, right? And you just think, like, so some marketing people were thinking, like, well, that is a segment of the population we can tap. It's underrepresented in our prisons, you know? So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a great read. It's a educational read. Mm-hmm. I'll say that much, and mm-hmm. I so admire the work that he does and uh, EGI mm-hmm. does as well. So good listen and a good read too. And I think it's EJI. EJI. Did I say EGI again? <laughs> EJI. Equal, Equal Justice, Justice Initiative. Initiative. We got it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did that, and then um, we'll go ahead. Oh, Oh, I was just going to say I did not finish Emma Donahue's new book. Well, it's this is for middle readers, middle school readers age. um, And it's the lotteries plus one. I just can't get into this age group. I think that's what it is. I had tried to read Bonicula, which somebody told me I should read since I love vampires so much. But I just couldn't get into that either. So I think it's probably a really cool book. So I brought it here for Emily to try. And like, if she doesn't read it, a niece might read yeah, it, Yeah, right? I thought I might yeah. pass it on to one of my nieces. Yeah. It cracks me up like any good book-loving friend that has so many books. Know. You know, Chris walks in and says, I couldn't finish this one, so I brought it to you. Well, it's brand new. You don't yeah. want it to go to waste. No, I'm excited about yeah. it because I love her writing. But I also will... Um, I was saying to Chris, sometimes I think these these middle readers are difficult just because... I have to keep reminding myself that I'm reading a book that's designed for younger people because mm-hmm. I might have frustration about the way it's written or want them to go a little bit deeper with something mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that. So. Yeah, for me, it's just like a little too cute. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I and I think, too, like I feel the pressure to read this the Booktopia stuff. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also going crazy about not reading any classics. I feel like mm-hmm. I've been reading like way too much contemporary stuff. So I'm itching to get back to a classic, okay. too. So that's my issue. We'll let you go scratch that itch. <laughs> Booktopia's almost here. <laughs> I just read, or actually I listened to The Book of Aaron by Jim Shepard. Oh. And he's a Booktopia author as well. Mm-hmm. And um, the book that he just published um, in 2017 is The World to Come, which is a book of stories. Mm-hmm. But The Book of Aaron was published in 2015. And I remember Anne talking about this book on Books on the Nightstand. I have a really hard time reading books around the Holocaust because I feel like I've read so many of them. Mm-hmm. And it's such pain. It, it always wipes me out. Mm-hmm. They're always so painful. And it's curious to me why someone chooses to write about the Holocaust again because so much has been written about it, you know. And so I'm, I, I always wonder what's different, you know, when I, or something has to be kind of be different in order for me to be willing to give it a listen or a read. And this one is um, from the point of view of an eight-year-old, Aaron. And it also deals with the character um, who's based on a real doctor by the name of Jerus Korzak. I'm sure I just butchered, butchered that name. But he was a, a real person that lived during the time of the Nazi invasion and um, he was a doctor, and he ran an orphanage mm-hmm. in Warsaw uh, for young children. And a lot of this book is about the relationship. Aaron's family moves from the uh, from a very rural place into Warsaw. Start lives in the Warsaw ghetto, and people are starving mm-hmm. to death, literally. And so he becomes a, an apprentice to this doctor in learning how to kind of steal or connive and convince people to give them basic necessities so that's what the book is about um it was really difficult yeah yeah really really difficult and it's a fictional 
it's story? fictional. Okay. Yeah. But it's based on. Yeah, real, but it's wow. based. That character of the doctor is a real. Mm-hmm. Was was really a true person that mm-hmm. lived during that time, and I believe he refused to leave the orphanage and leave the children. I think that's part of the lore of his okay. history. Yeah. So, um, and it was a six-hour yeah. audio. It went pretty quickly for me. Um, I have to admit that I'm. I'm going through, I have not read really this week at all. These are all books I read last week. Yeah. And uh, just because I'm so engrossed in my papers and all of that, that I'm fine. This, when I listen to this, I realize like, ooh, you're not really in this completely. You need to stop putting information into your brain because you're trying to access a lot of information right now. Yeah. You know? So I don't feel like I gave it necessarily my full attention, mm-hmm. but um, I do think it's worth a listen. And I'm, I'm, curious to meet Mr. Shepard because I think he I think Kate was reading his book of stories when I saw her in New York a couple weeks ago and I think she alluded to the fact that they're kind of dark okay so he seems to be interested in writing about dark things yeah well it makes sense in that Anne yeah would have recommended yes that's right she likes dark yeah yeah um and I think he's a professor at um Williams Williams. College okay yeah all right yeah Yeah, I know one of the booktopia authors is yeah Cool. So, um, The Book of Aaron by Jim Shepard. Great. All right, next we are on to our current reads. Yes, I am currently reading The Opposite of Everyone by Jocelyn Jackson. Although, as I said, I'm not really reading very much. <laughs> this is She's an author. I've read one of her other books, and she's a total palate cleanser for me. Mm-hmm. So I was... I get kind of crabby if I don't read. I think you and I have talked about this. Totally, yes. Yeah. I do too. I need to have it every day. Yes. (laughs) I need my fix. (laughs) I mean, even just 10 minutes, like, it's just so soothing to me. Yeah. So I I picked up my Kindle the other, I mean, I have a stack of books from the library and a stack of, you know, books just on my TBR. And I opened up my Kindle the other day and just like, find something. And I started her book. And I did exactly like you're saying, like 10 minutes, I Mm -hmm. think. And then this morning, I have, you know, a full day of regular work and then a paper that I have to have finished tonight. And I just thought, just read for 15 minutes and then you can start your day, you know. Right. (laughs) So hers is the one I chose, The Opposite of Everyone by Jocelyn Jackson. Excellent. Well, I'm into another Booktopia book. I just started it last night, The Women in the Castle by Jessica Shuttuck. So, yeah, just started it. Excellent. And I have that also on my Kindle, so maybe I'm hoping to get to that one before Booktopia. I think I actually started to think about starting that one, but after doing the Book of Aaron, I Mm -hmm. was like, I can't go back to that time period right now. (laughs) I need a break. Right. Well, and that's why I wanted to read that one right away, too, but after Pachinko, Mm. I thought, wow, I need something that's a little lighter, and that's when I went to Celine. Right. Which was was the perfect book. Yeah, Yeah, it was a pleasure, and uh, lighter so biblio adventures well i let me i'm sorry back up i gotta say that i'm back to reading or listening to you are a badass that's the uh the self-help motivational book by jen sincero so i'm back to that but i also wanted to mention um there is a book that i did as part of a book tour for my blog called the dude diet and it's by Serena Wolf is her name. And it's a it's a book for people who like to, to eat dirty, but you know, have cleaner versions of these things. So I reviewed it, or I didn't even review it, I kind of like presented it on my blog and talked about it. 
and said that Laura and I would start doing some recipes in the winter. Well, that didn't happen, but now we're starting to do some of the recipes. So I made one. It's a black bean chipotle chicken stew that was delicious. Sounds delicious. Yeah, and then Laura has made some um, quinoa granola that's delicious, too. And uh, so I just wanted to give that book a shout-out, The Dude Diet, because I think it's... The recipes are all pretty much using kind of standard things. Mm -hmm. I mean, coconut oil didn't used to be standard, but I think nowadays it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I'm I'm not somebody who cooks, so it's approachable for me, which is an important thing. So that is, I'm going to be experimenting with more. I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, Laura made the smashed potatoes Mm. with thyme and garlic. Those are really good. Mm. So. You're making my stomach grumble. So good. Oh, my God. And that stew that I made, I I just put up a blog post about it today. If you want to check it out, wildmoobooks.com. But I put, um, she recommended crumbled goat cheese on top. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. It was like one of those dishes that I made like obscene noises while I was eating. I'm very familiar with that behavior. So good. Or I always say, I don't want this to end. <laughs> I know, yeah. I, and just when I was typing my post up today, I was like, oh, I need to make that again. My mouth is just watering thinking Ooh, about it. How nice. Yeah. I bet it would be good to freeze, too. And yeah. Then, then you could have I it for it. lunches and such. Totally. Lunches, put it over some rice and yeah. stuff, too. Yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah. I'm hungry. Okay. Biblio Adventures. Biblio Adventures. <laughs> I went to see, I'm part of a movie club that takes place at the Madison Theater, and so we get to see things that um, may not get released ever, really, um, outside of New York City, or are not released yet, and I got to see A Quiet Passion, which is the movie about Emily Dickinson. Yay! Yahoo! National Poetry Month. Perfect, yes, perfect exactly. Yeah. And I have to admit, I'm not overly familiar with her poetry, and mm-hmm. I, I'm... I'm somewhat sworn to secrecy about talking about this movie because Chris hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, I don't want any... Well, not that we tend to give a lot of spoilers Mm -hmm. or stuff, but you can talk. I'll talk, but I won't say much. All I'm going to say is I thought it was very well done. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for you to see it because I'm dying to talk to you about a couple aspects of it. And um, I thought they did a brilliant job of weaving some of her poetry in Mm -hmm. to, to the movie itself. I will also say that um, there were parts of it that were kind of uncomfortable to watch. She had Mm. a difficult life. Mm -hmm. And I'm also glad that I'm a woman in this time period and not in that time period. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about it. We'll talk about it more after you get to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly the Madison Art Cinema is bringing it next week. And April, supposedly. I saw it in there coming soon. Okay. So, So and it is an art film. It's mm -hmm. considered an art film. So if you're looking for it, um, look for your local art house, yeah. movie theater. And Cynthia Nixon plays Emily Dixon, mm-hmm. Dickinson. I have to say she did a fantastic she, job. There was a lot of crap about her when it when it was first announced that she would be playing Emily Dickinson. I know some academic types who were like, you've got to be kidding me. Mm. But I've heard good things. She so. did a great job. Cool. Yeah. She's on Broadway right now with, in she, something with Laura Linney, too. Mm. And they're switching... The, the main roles, they switch back and forth oh, on cool. different nights. And I thought, <laughs> how can they possibly remember the lines like that? But anyway, that's a whole other tangent. So A Quiet Passion, a movie by about Emily Dickinson. Go see it if you can. And, oh, never mind. I'll talk about that coming up. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. 
Well, I had one Biblio adventure since we last talked, and that was going to the Mark Twain house to listen to Anne M. Ryan talk. Um, she's a professor of English at Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York. Uh, she is writing about Mark Twain and placing him in the American Gothic tradition of like Nathaniel Hawthorne and Edgar Allan Poe and even Emily Dickinson. She considers a, a Gothic writer or mm-hmm. has Gothic amulet elements and it was funny because she flashed a picture of emily dickinson all dressed in goth which Mm. was kind of funny so (laughs) it was an interesting talk um she it was a about mark twain being haunted by people and houses Mm. so um and and some of the progression being that you know the more you have to love the more you have to lose so as his family grew his anxiety and the ghosts got more real and more present and everything. Uh, but she was making this analogy, you know, t- with all these houses and everything and him wanting to be outside of houses too, away from ghosts. And I'm probably totally messing up a lot of what she said. But then she ended by saying, and that could be why, you know, in Huckleberry Finn, there's the raft, you know, the unhouse. <laughs> right. And like, I heard people's eyes rolling when she said that. <laughs> and Laura turned to me and she's like, oh my god it's a raft it's the mississippi river you know so it's just that that, i mean she was charming and so funny and very just gave a great talk and i look forward to to reading her book i'm I'm thinking it's a book she's working on i'm not sure if it's a book or an article um but it just gets to you know i'm a recovering academic myself and just that you know stretching some of these associations so far Mm -hmm. to the point where it's just like eyeball roll yeah. you know you can't a little bit yeah. of a stretch so yeah, yeah. But, or a long stretch a long, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, this is good i enjoyed it and that was again at the mark twain house and museum and for those of you who might live in the area and not visit haven't visited it yet i totally recommend you check it out it's a great place yeah it's really yeah. fun and i'll put a link to their website um in the show notes i went to rj julia booksellers last night in Madison, and I saw Jennifer Ackerman speak about her book, The Genius of Birds. Mm-hmm. She was really sweet, and she had um, a big screen and slides that she used for her whole talk, and she spoke for about 50 minutes. Cool. And the slides were of different birds and talking about different birds, and then she also showed a very cool slide of bird brains versus human brains. Because historically, people have looked at a bird and said, well, they can't have a very big brain. They must not be very smart. Mm -hmm. And that's where the term, you're a bird brain, comes up, which is supposed to be an insult. But based on a lot of research that she's done and many other people have done, birds are actually quite smart. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that one of the big changes in my life when I moved to Guilford and live, where I watch birds all day... I actually do work some, but I mostly watch birds. (laughs) They're incredibly fascinating creatures, Mm -hmm. and you can tell how smart they are. And I also get to see the evolution of the seasons and what happens with the birds here because, you know, I live right on the water, so there are waterfowl that come and go based on the seasons. And I have this osprey nest right outside my window. We're looking at it right now. Standing there, there's one of them standing right there. And um, they're very territorial, and so they land within the same two days every year 
and on the nest. And once they land, the whole dynamic of the bird culture outside of my house changes. And when they leave, the bird culture changes again. They leave, I, I want to say, in October. So um, I've grown incredibly more fascinated with birds. So going to this talk was really fun. And what she said is they are really smart. And she also noted that the reason they're smart is that they have to solve difficult ecological problems, particularly that we're creating for them. Yeah. You know, and that being able to solve these problems is what helps them to evolve. Mm -hmm. And she noted that there are 30 to 60 birds per human in the world. Wow. So seemingly they're evolving pretty well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And she also told us that the smartest bird in the world is the new Caledonia, Caledonian crow. Interesting. Which lives on an, the island of New Caledonia or something like that. I don't know. Oh. I probably got that wrong. But she showed pictures of them solving all of these incredibly complex problems to get to a piece of food and wow. stuff like that. So it was pretty cool. And they all, she also talked about their navigation um, which obviously birds have incredible navigation skills mm -hmm. and how it's the one thing that they really haven't been able to, scientists haven't really been able to figure out. Mm -hmm. They do know that they use um, the sun and the stars and magnetic fields and sounds and smells and landscaping to find their way mm -hmm. places. But they, even though they've put, you know, chips in them and follow them with GPS and all this kind of stuff, they still can't quite figure out how they know how to do it, yeah. you know. Interesting. Yeah, so I love it, birds. They're, they are oh. fascinating. I, yeah, and they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it was a really interesting talk. And sometimes I go to these sorts of things um, for a book of nonfiction, and I think, okay, you know, I don't need to read the book. I just wanted a kind of a basic understanding. Mm -hmm. And I, I still, I had to run yesterday after, and I didn't get to officially pick up the book. I do want to look at it. It might be a little too sciencey for me, mm -hmm. but if it's not too sciencey, I actually do think it's a book I'm I'm interested in reading. Very so, cool. so it's called The Genius of Birds by Jennifer Ackerman. Very cool. Yeah, I know the other the other saying with birds is that somebody eats like a bird, and that's supposed to be a compliment to right. women usually. Yeah. Well, like birds eat their weight in food every day yes. because they need so much energy to burn mm -hmm. for flying and stuff. So. Yeah. We need to rethink all of yes. our, our bird <laughs> Indeed. Bird I think sayings. the osprey eat at least three whole fish a day. Wow. At least. Because I watch them eviscerate them outside my window. Yeah, and they're big daily. fish too, they're right? They're huge. I mean, yeah. 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 That's funny. So. All right, birds. Upcoming adventures. Um, well, mine will be the Emily Dickinson movie. Mm -hmm. Knock on wood, it does come to the local theater. Very good. And yeah. I'm going to the Newburyport Literary Festival cool. next weekend. Aunt Ellen did a fantastic job of we. You know, there's several different tracks you can go in on the Newburyport Festival. There's so much going on. It's it's April 28th through 29th. The 28th has a couple. Um, events that I think you do have to pay for. The 29th is all free. And um, I'll put a link to the in the show notes to their website and you can see the list of events. It's kind of daunting in the sense that, you know, me, the upholder, I want to do everything. <laughs> yeah. So Ellen, the voice of reason, we talked through, you know, what we're going to do. And she put it in a Word document for me and sent it to me, which was fantastic. That's great. <laughs> um, so I have my list of where I'm going to go. 
They're featuring Jeff Kinney this year, who's the author of the um, Wimpy Kid. Wimpy Kid, Kid. Yeah. yeah, and he has a new bookstore, which I would love to go to. Um, and then Richard Rousseau is going to be there, who's one of my favorite authors. Yeah. I can't wait to see him. Um, and there's also, they have a bookstore, an independent bookstore in Newburyport called Jabberwocky Books, which is unbelievable. So I can't wait cool. to go to that as awesome. well. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'll be joining you. I'm not sure. I'm, yeah. I have some travel I'm going to be doing between now and then, so we'll yeah. have to see, but, you know. Well, I'll give you a full report if you don't yeah, make it, but excellent. you will be missed. One of these years, I'm going to make it up there because it just sounds like such a great festival. It really is. It's, and I just like the town of Newburyport, too. Mm-hmm. It's really fun, and it's right on the water. So not far from Boston. If you're in the Boston area, you might give it a look. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then um, after that, the weekend after that, we have Booktopia. Booktopia, yeah. Well, and in between there, um, April 29th is National Bookstore Day, the Independent yes. Bookstore Day. And I know... If I am around and avail- able to go, um, the book club bookstore in South Windsor, Connecticut, I have yet to make it there. They just moved to a new location, and it's a small bookstore. They sell some used and some new, I believe. Mm. They're having their grand opening that day on the 29th. Oh, so I thought fun. if I do make it to a bookstore on National Bookstore Day, that would probably be the one. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, if you don't make it, we could stop there on the way up to Booktopia because it's be on cool. the way. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Booktopia yeah. will be our next recording, will actually be from Booktopia. That's right. Coming at you live from Manchester. Yeah. Kind of live, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. As live as we get. As people. live as we get. Yeah. <laughs> so, that'll be good. And for those of you who are sick of hearing about Booktopia, you, you won't hear about It'll it. It'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Michael saying something about that on one of their recordings about, yeah. you know, not wanting people to feel bad that they couldn't go, but that they had to talk about it. <laughs> right. Sorry. It's a big deal. We got to talk about yeah. it. And then we're talking about on the way home from Booktopia, stopping at the Emily Dickinson house. Yes. In Amherst, in, Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. And the the movie, A Quiet Passion, it was filmed there. In part, yeah. So I feel like I got to see it a little bit. I can't wait to spend more time there. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. looking forward to that because the last time I, well, the first time, which was the last time I was at Emily Dickinson's house, they were redoing her bedroom mm. to put it back to how it was when she lived there. Mm. Um, so that'll be cool to see. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a great bookstore in town with uh, a huge wall of wonderful used fiction that I can't wait. Yeah, they have used downstairs and then new upstairs. This is an Amherst? Amherst, yeah. Ooh. I think it's just the Amherst bookstore. Ooh. I'm not sure about we'll have that. have to look that but up. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes, too. It's a really cool Ooh, shop. I can't wait. Well, we're going to be um, dragging some of our friends, our book friends. So, Russell and Julia, get your walking shoes on. We're taking you places. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun time. And one of the funnest parts for me about Booktopia, too, is I'm going to be done with school when yes. I get to Booktopia. Yeah. Whether Very I'm nice. done or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emily gone wild. That's right. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> So upcoming reads, what do you have um, coming up? Yeah, I have The One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. She's going to be at the Newburyport Festival, so um, I'm hoping to get it read by the time I go. We'll see. It's waiting for me at the library. And then I also have a book that I just picked up at the library that I read about in the New York Times book review 
just this last weekend, or no, it must have been the weekend before, and put it on request and got it um, pretty oh. quickly from the library. It's called Blue Light Yokohama by Nicholas Obregon, and it's inspired by a real-life unsolved mystery, oh. and it's a debut novel, and it's gotten quite rave reviews. I get sometimes a little freaked out by real life unsolved mysteries yeah <laughs> so we'll see i might really love it or i might have to pass okay but it is a novel right it's a novel, it's a novel. yeah All right yeah it has can, a really cool cover i can take real crimes as an as a novel more than i can as a true crime yeah like yeah this is it right in your face kind of look i just don't like crime when i feel like it could be my neighbor because then i start walking up and down the street looking at my neighbor's cross-eyed and mm-hmm. I don't like to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it takes place in Japan, I think, so I don't live in Japan, so hopefully it won't seem too real life for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll report back. Excellent. Good deal. I'm going to tackle Lillian Fishbach. Fish? Boxfish. Boxfish. Lillian Boxfish. I'm looking right at it. That's still say right. <laughs> Lillian Boxfish takes a walk. Um, I'm going to... Try and get to that one, and that might be my last booktopia. But I really love the one that you were just talking about that takes place in the eighties with the. It was fun, Ugh. and I have to say, I probably it probably took me a day to read. Really? Okay. Yeah, it just mm. it just really. Now, I, and I'd be curious to have you read it because there there were some people who felt like it was it did not portray women very well. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I shouldn't say I didn't mind that. I felt like it was the perspective of teenage boys in the eighties, especially yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So. But anyway, so we'll see if you what you decide. Yeah. And I'm going to put you on the spot. If you could ditch all the Booktopia books and pick up a classic, do you know mm-hmm. which one it would be? Yes, it would. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been wanting to read Middlemarch by George Eliot. Mm. That is one I want to pick up. And I also want to read John Steinbeck's uh, The Grapes of Wrath. I've oh, never read I that. I want to read yeah. that. Maybe we could do a joint read of that. Okay. That might be cool. It might be nice to have some hand-holding for that one. Yeah. I've heard it's a pretty tough, depressing read. And it, Yeah, I wonder if we should. Maybe the summer could actually be a good time to read that. Because sometimes yeah. it's hard to read books like that in the in the winter when mm-hmm. it's already dark and dank yes, and all that. right. You know, Jacob loves Steinbeck. My son, Jacob. Mm-hmm. And he um, got halfway through that book and then, I think, went to Vietnam last summer. And I believe it was a library book, so he oh, never finished yeah. it. Okay. So, But he was he was reporting back that he, he was really enjoying it. Yeah. So I'd like to read that. Okay, good. Let's yeah. do that for later in the summer. Yeah. Because Middle March might be a good one for the spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and then I have um, Giovanni's Room. That's what I thought that, you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah, that is one. I had plans on taking that one up to Booktopia with me, actually, because mm-hmm. Kate mm-hmm. sent me that. Um, so I might take it up. We'll yeah. see. For all that reading time you get when you're at Booktopia. I know. You know. <laughs> and then, you know, I'll be buying books there right. at Northshire. Yeah, you know, we're going to have four people in the car. We might have to, you know, know, establish some ground rules for how many books people are allowed to buy. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we both have SUVs. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Plenty. We can always strap things to the top of the car yeah. if need be, or a person. <laughs> Books take precedence, you know. Yeah. Too funny. That's great. Uh, well, here we are, another episode wrapped up. Yeah. Episode 13. Lucky 13. Lucky 13. 
All right. All right, everybody. Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah, and if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Book Cougars, Facebook at Book Cougars. If you have anything you want to share, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and like to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thanks, everybody. Happy reading, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Meow!